cool. Hooray! That's a button Hooray. I've never clicked before. <laughs> and yeah. I guess it does something. Good evening and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast connecting academic ideas to popular media. My name is Martha Sullivan, one of your intrepid hosts, and just consider my pithy top of the episode nickname uh, from now until the end of time to be Pokemon Master and Galar Arena Champion. Uh, I am joined, as always, by my co-host. Uh, I am Pete Romberg, and I... Uh... I don't know. I'm sitting here looking at a, a bag of coffee that I'm going to give as a gift with um, a, a Yeti on it, like from the uh, the claymation um, Rudolph movies, like that Yeti who like bumbles around with the dizzy eyes and everything. And it kind of makes me want to rewatch those movies. Yukon Cornelius is one of the best characters in animation. Yes. I will not be taking questions at this time. Ah. <laughs> uh we are joined today by return guest and friend of the podcast, Joe Caputo. Joe, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, welcome back. Um, if you periodically hear a wailing cat in the background, it is... He is fine. He just thinks he's losing his mind, but he's not. He is okay. <laughs> oh, poor Nibbler. It's a large yes. and confusing world for a small cat. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we are going to be talking about holiday-themed horror movies later on in the episode. Uh, but first, we have to tell you all about what is stuck in our heads this week. What is the pop culture phenomenon or artifact that we have experienced since last we spoke to you that we simply cannot stop talking about? Uh, Pete, would you like to go first? Sure. Put me on the spot after I was saying that I have no idea what is stuck in my head. Um... Correct. Martha, correct me if I'm wrong, there but I... There will be a test. Yes. Uh, I don't think we've talked about Watchmen yet on what is stuck in our head. Um, that, would be, that would be true. Cool. Uh, the last episode aired last night of the season. I have not seen that episode yet. Uh, probably I'll be watching it when we're done recording this. Um, but I've I've watched the all the previous nine episodes, and I am thoroughly, thoroughly enjoying the show that is now over. Uh, it, um, first off, requisite, uh, comment that Alan Moore has totally disowned it and, you know, hates any adaptation of his properties. Um, that being said, I think, uh, Lindelof has done a fantastic job reinterpreting Watchmen for 2019 and sort of taking the ideas of the comic and not using it as a sacred text, but rather using it as a launching point. Um, everyone involved is absolutely fantastic and... Uh, some of the episodes have been amongst the boldest I've ever seen uh, from any television show, and this is from someone who thoroughly enjoyed Legion for its innovative storytelling and visual uh, components. I, uh, I'm one episode behind, so I have the finale and the episode previous. Mm -hmm. um, Bill, Bill, my husband, said that the penultimate episode was one of the best episodes of TV he'd ever experienced. Yes. So... And that was coming after um, the, the flashback black and white episode, which was also, I would put in the list of, like, top ten best episodes of TV. Uh, I was going to say, that's the last one that I watched, or no, the one after that. Mm -hmm. 
So that one was two episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like every episode has been like for for three or four episodes in a row is just incredible. Um, I have been, I, I guess I feel better now that I've had people reassure me that he stuck the landing. Because mm-hmm. there were some times during the series where I was like, this is very well crafted, but depending on what your ultimate thesis statement is, mm-hmm. I'm concerned. Sure. Um, just because there were there was a lot of the show where I couldn't, I didn't feel like I had a handle on what his messaging for the show was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and since he's dealing with so many very, very delicate topics i was a little bit concerned but it it sounds like um you know it sounds like he stuck the landing as it were yeah so i'm looking forward to finishing it off yeah i know it's been interesting with each new episode seeing the oklahoma critics circles uh, Mm. comments on things Hmm. um since they did set so much of it in the tulsa area it's it's been kind of an eye-opening experience to see so much of our, as a state, um, kind of dark underbelly <laughs> resurfaced on national and potentially international television. Um, but I, I do have to say, I have not watched the show yet, but I feel like I'm getting a pretty good uh, through line just through the hot takes on Oklahoma film Twitter, if you will. <laughs> I would, I would be very interested to hear your thoughts on it if you decide to watch it ever. As somebody who lives in Oklahoma, um, mm-hmm. what your take on their take on Oklahoma is? Because I mean, the show opens with the Tulsa race riots. Like that's the first scene of the show, mm-hmm. um, right? Which is a lot. Um, and also, I got to watch a lot of people on Twitter. Find, I got to watch a lot of people on Twitter find out that that was a real thing and I'm not right. just something that us invented for the show. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's, it was, it was one. It, that was another one of those moments where you realize um, what's not taught, uh, you know, across the country. Like that's something that was most definitely covered in Oklahoma history in high school for everybody. Whereas, like, I I learned about it. I think maybe five years ago. Um, uh-huh. and it's like, you know, I'm, I have a history background and I, uh, you know, I have, I have a social justice background. So like, that's a huge, like, you know, gap in, you know, what's being taught. Right. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Joe, yes. what pop culture is stuck in your head at the moment? So, you know, it's this close to the end of the year. I read this book maybe a month and a half ago but I can't get it out of my head. I've been recommending it to um, anyone that will listen. Um, it's called The Chain, written by Adrian McKinty. I looked it up before I got on just so I would remember. Um, it is a, I would call it a suspense or maybe thriller uh, novel set in modern-day United States, East Coast, Um, And it focuses on a family. It's a divorced mom and her daughter and her ex-husband, basically. And uh, the long and the short of it is 
she's on her way to a doctor's appointment and she gets a strange cell call phone call and it's a very garbled robotic voice telling her that she needs to pull off to the side of the road in three minutes this person is going to call you and you have to do what she tells you to do and so she pulls over the phone call comes in the woman on the end of the line says i've kidnapped your daughter you need to deposit $25,000 in this bank account and go kidnap somebody because if you don't, I'm going to kill your daughter. And that's like that happens all in the first chapter and you it's off to the races. It is the most compelling um, piece of fiction I have read in quite some time. And I normally I, I listen to it on audiobook, which helped because the narrator was phenomenal mm. um but normally with an audiobook it takes me um no matter how good it is it sometimes takes me up to a week to kind of get through it because uh you know i'm usually only listening to it when i'm in the car or something like that um i could not put this down i couldn't put it down um i think i cut through it in like two days um so yeah the it's called the chain it is so so good and um i cannot recommend it high enough i have not heard of this but you had me at east coast thriller so i'm <laughs> in <laughs> i am uh, adding it to my goodreads as we speak because yeah this sounds fascinating why do all of the terrible things happen on the east coast <laughs> i yeah i feel like it has I... something to do with how close things are together mm. and Possibly because those are the oldest areas of our country. Mm, that's also true. <laughs> all of the, all of that witchy stuff. Right. Um. So what is stuck in my head is a little bit of a cheat because it hasn't actually happened yet. Um, <laughs> my husband is ride or die for Star Wars, so we have tickets to, um. Rise of Skywalker? Is yes. that what it's called? Yes. The yeah. new one. The newest Star War. We are going to see a Star War on Thursday. Oh, okay. uh, which I am I am excited about. I am not excited for social media pending the release of the newest Star Wars. Yes. <laughs> and I have been spending a lot of time it's already started. It's already started. And I have no time for it the last Jedi haters and I have no time for people who are preemptively like this movie is going to be terrible. Um, also I think that anybody who said that they were going to boycott this last movie, um, anybody <laughs> who liar. actually goes to see it owes me a dollar. <laughs> well, no, they have to pay me mm. because I had to listen to them be live for a year mm -hmm. um, because this movie is going to make a trillion dollars. Um, <laughs> it's all, it's all BS. I, I don't want to deal with it. Um, I won't delete Twitter off my phone, although I should. <laughs> Just, um, so yeah. That is what is stuck in my head this week. Um, maybe later, after I've read, after I've gotten further into it, I'll talk about Philip Pullman's new book. Not there yet. Um, mostly, I've just spent a lot of time this week being afraid of uh, post-Star Wars reaction Twitter on right. Friday. I've, yeah, no doubt. I, I, I've got it even worse where I'm not seeing it until late Friday night, so I have to both avoid the internet for an entire day and then be firehosed with bad takes. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if I yeah, if I was you, I would just I would unplug my computer. I would <laughs> Right. It's like I need the internet for work Commit. though, so this is a tough thing for me. <laughs> Put a parental control on. I'm not allowed to I'm not allowed to use social media today. <laughs> Uh, so we are going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we are going to get into Christmas horror. Welcome back. We are talking today about horror that is specifically a uh, holiday and even more specifically uh, Christmas themed today. We have three pretty, I'm showing my hand here, but we have three pretty excellent movies to talk to you about today. And we are going to kick things off with Pete. Pete, uh, tell us about the movie that you made us watch today. Yeah, so um, I assigned The Nightmare Before Christmas, which is you know, a kid's horror movie. Um, it is uh, 1993 stop-motion animated. Uh, Wiki is calling it a musical dark fantasy film um, directed by Henry Selleck uh, and produced by Tim Burton. Um, telling the story of Halloween Town, the place where all the Halloween spooks and ghouls live, uh, and their encounter with Christmas Town, um, where Santa lives. Uh, Jack Skellington, if you've ever been near a hot topic, you are aware of The Nightmare Before Christmas, at least its visual iconography. Um, and honestly, if you haven't seen this movie, stop the podcast right now, go watch this movie. It's delightful fun. Um, I'm a little confused about you listening to a pop culture podcast without having seen this. Um, I picked it because I, I wanted to talk about sort of like the kid's angle to Christmas horror. Um, I think that Christmas is a, like, it is classically an all-ages holiday, and it is also very specifically a children-oriented holiday, um, both in our modern culture and in, you know, many Northern European cultures in the past. Santa Claus or Saint Nick or whomever uh, has been a, a figure of either uh, joy or fear for children, um, and uh that that sort of like blend of like presents for good kids and you know coal or a beating or getting stuffed in a sack to be taken home and eaten um is sort of like baked into the european christmas tradition um similarly horror movies are, the, are a kind of thing that like many people have memories of seeing them when they were young and being like being scared is a very uh you know universal childhood idea so the blending of creepy spooky things and christmas is an interesting sort of like frisian um and also in a way like uniquely child childish frisian of of two very child oriented ideas um and last but not least i definitely picked this movie as an excuse to rewatch it because it's great we we've all seen this one before right like this wasn't <clears throat> anyone's first viewing oh, correct yeah okay <laughs> Um, so my very first memory of this movie, I remember seeing a trailer for it. I don't remember what the trailer was in front of, 
Um, but the trailer contained the image of when Jack is singing What's This? And he pulls the Christmas mm. lights down into, his, into eye his, his eye sockets. Yeah. Yes, that was one of the images from the trailer that I still have an incredibly vivid memory of seeing um, before I actually saw the movie. Um, this movie is creepy as heck. Like, when you <laughs> when you consider that it's for... That it's a Disney movie that's for children. Like I'm, I'm impressed that Disney financed this movie. Like that is well, and they they did it through Touchstone, which is a now defunct production company, and and which is where they did their slightly, um, not like necessarily more adult, but it stuff. yeah, it, it took it off the Disney label proper. Well, no, um, I mean who, marketing this. Um, I think name. Tim Burton produced yeah. it, I think. Yes. And yeah. I, I wonder how much of his name recognition kind of helped smooth out some of those queer uh, sections, you know, where it's like, oh, Tim said it was okay. I, sure. I would guess a lot. This was sort of like Burton at his peak blank checkiest. Um, I don't, this was either right before or right after Batman, um, the second one came out, Batman Returns, um, right. which was his first kind of, like, quote-unquote miss. Um, oh, he was directing Batman Returns when this was being made. Uh, so, like, he had been just making money hand over fist and yeah. had his finger on the pulse. So I, I think you're totally right that, you know, Tim Tim said it's okay, so let's keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, in terms of, like, what this particular movie i mean a lot of i think why christmas lends itself to being lends itself to horror stories is because this whole concept of being judged um every day of your life on whether you're good or bad is a really frightening idea mm-hmm. um and this this movie kind of this movie sort of starts with that, but then it punishes all of the children. Like, <laughs> even even the good children get, like, monsters and things in their stocking. So, it... Uh, no, I'm not, I'm not sure what I was... Where I was going with this, but... That I, I do think that that idea of, um, like, being judged naughty or nice and being punished... For being naughty just by not getting a present or um you know something a little bit more horrific is kind of at the root of a lot of holiday horror um and this one sort of magnifies that idea by like almost putting the good and the bad children on on equal footing and just everyone is everyone gets a snake in their (laughs) stocking a flying vampire baby doll Yes. Yeah, it's it is kind of a a strange message once it all comes together, isn't it? Because you know we're following Jack this entire time as he's attempting to understand what Christmas is through his like Halloween Town understanding of things, and it almost feels like at the end that the at least I don't know. The message I always seem to come away with is it's like, hey, Jack, 
thanks for trying, but please just stay in your lane. Yeah, I, I was also thinking stay in your lane. Uh, I, I love the scene in the town hall where he's trying to explain what he's seen, uh, like in Christmas Town to the denizens of Halloween Town, and they're just totally not getting it. Um, uh, and, and I, I love the way they misconstrue things. Um, but it, it's almost like on the one hand, it's a stay in your lane message. Um, but on the other hand, there's like a, a, a bit of a, like the, the importance of like experiencing things and, and the idea that like some things are ungrockable without having had an experience of them. Mm. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's also movie that is against the commercialization of christmas mm-hmm. because yeah. like jack jack has a very superficial idea of what christmas is and what it means um and ultimately i think just picks an interpretation that he likes to to kind of move forward with um, and his like his lack of understanding of what makes it special is, I think, more of what ends up being his downfall rather than just this isn't your holiday. It's like this is not your holiday. And more than that, you haven't put the time into understanding into understanding our holiday before you just try it on it's a very it's mm. a very anti-cultural appropriation message too i think yeah mm. yeah yeah it is in fact literally cultural appropriation they are <laughs> yes but that's why that's why i think it's important where at the end um santa makes it snow on halloween town and like the halloween town people get kind of invited to and appreciate Christmas mm-hmm. without the vampires uh, ice skating yeah. on the frozen lake. Yeah, like it's okay for you guys to enjoy it, you know, being with like s- somebody in the as the cruise director who um, who does belong to, but don't like don't make the mistake of thinking that it can belong to you, like it. It doesn't, and mm-hmm. that is okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can still right. understand and experience it without it belonging to you. Mm-hmm. That's a really how nice take on it. Message... Yeah, how much of this messaging do we think children get? <laughs> Gotta go with none. none? <laughs> That's definitely the club, isn't it? Because I don't think, I mean, I like your interpretation about it attempting to kind of remove the over commercialization or commodification of Christmas. And then you turn around and like um, Pete was saying at the top, this might be one of the most merchandised movies (laughs) ever. You're right. (laughs) And so if that was indeed, um, part of the intent of the movie, it failed horribly. Um, You know, and, you know, sure, some of that might just fall at the feet of Disney refusing to not make a dollar where they can. But it it does seem, at the very least, highly ironic that a movie that does seem to be, that does seem to say, have something to say about 
the commodification of what for a lot of people is a rather um, kind of spiritual holiday <clears throat> to then turn around and just put Jack Skellington on everything that you can possibly put him on um, does seem quite strange. Well, and it is also a very, it is a completely secular movie. Like the, the central yeah. conflict is still like kind of focused around distribution of gifts. Like there's still commoditization that happens um, in the movie. And yeah, the, the religious or spiritual aspect of the holiday is just completely removed. Mm -hmm. um, which I honestly, I'm not mad about it because I think Christmas itself has gotten to be a very secular holiday. Mm -hmm. um, also, it'd be a weird movie <laughs> if they were like stealing a baby Jesus or something. <laughs> like, I, I don't Man. think that would work. <laughs> yeah, that might have been just a, almost too dark, even for... Uh, I, I feel like the, the good for... folks at Touchstone would be like, it doesn't matter what Tim is saying, we cannot have this movie you, be about. You can't, you can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Baby Jesus in Oogie Boogie's lair. Right. Um. Um, well, one, uh... I, I'm going to cut this if we don't want to segue, but one thing that this uh, movie has is a lot of really good songs. Um, I was just about to... <laughs> um, the music rips. Yes. Slaps, even, as the kids are saying, <laughs> I think. As the children, <laughs> as as the... The children say. Yes. No, I think, a, I think all, a lot of, if not most of the music... Um, could called iconic yes i mean it, like you you were saying the the what's it uh, what's this sequence with the light bulbs and as you were like describing that scene i'm like having the entire song go through my head and i'm just grinning um ditto with like halloween town that's a great song i will say i don't know if any of it ends up qualifying as like christmas music um like there, there are no. I don't think there are any songs in this movie that I would sing like as part of a choir outing or whatever. Um, you could, but that may not get, also matter. Yeah, you could maybe get away with bits of what's this, but not the entire song. Like there, there's children throwing snowballs instead of throwing heads. You might want to skip that one as you're <laughs> as you're going a caroling. <laughs> That's the best line in that song because it is the most illustrative that one and absolutely no one's dead yes. is like so, so illustrative of the environment of the clashing environments yes all right joe would you like to tell us about anna and the apocalypse i will do my best um this was one that i had been very curious about um, and then saw the opportunity to talk about it here, and I jumped at it. Um, Anna and the Apocalypse is a pretty straight-up-and-down musical um, with zombies set at Christmas. Um, I was very surprised when the credits started rolling, and it was uh, a, an Irish production. Hmm. That was unexpected, but... Um, 
<clears throat> excuse me, Anna and the Apocalypse is about Anna, a high school senior-ish is what is the impression that I got. And uh, as the movie opens, she uh, the word slips from her best friend that uh, she has purchased a ticket to Australia, and her dad is not pleased. Over the course of the movie, we meet Anna more fully and um, her class, her kind of close-knit group of friends and classmates. And uh, before you know it, a zombie outbreak happens, and they're fighting for I'm their life. We'll see you. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're fighting for their life, and in a few cases, uh, the love of their life, to uh, try and see Christmas morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, I won't go any further because I don't necessarily want to spoil uh, everything. But I was very surprised at how cohesive all of what should have been very disparate ideas, uh, how how well they came together. Because mm. um, th- I feel like this movie could have functioned just as well as kind of a horror comedy. Um, the music, the, the actual musical numbers, I felt like really, you know, just distilled as they are prone to do in musicals. They kind of distilled the um, emotion of the scene or the emotion of the sequence that we were, that they were inserted into. Um, But I, you know, I enjoy musicals. I took a class in college about uh, film musicals and I I had a lot of fun trying to uh, break down where I felt like this movie would fall under those kinds of uh, more rigid um, structures. And what I kind of came to is that it doesn't. And as <laughs> such, um, kind of does its own thing, which is so fresh and fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. But yeah, uh, what did you guys think of this movie? I, um, I go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, you go ahead. <laughs> I said it first. Um, I give it a solid. I give it a solid B plus. Um, I was also pretty excited about it. I did not find it world changing. Mm. Um, I enjoyed it. I thought the the music. There were at least three and a half like true bangers in the soundtrack. <laughs> Um, yes. But I will say the music found, the music felt a little bit more um, pop songs inserted into a movie rather than like a true musical, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of neither here nor there. But I think it made it made the songs more like um, they they weren't carrying as much narrative weight as I like from my musicals. Um, almost disposable. I think Ella Hunt's not disposable, but just like you could have taken the musical, you could have taken the music numbers out, and I don't think it would have qualitatively changed <gasps> the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of what I was, what I was thinking too. That it could have just been a horror comedy, and probably been almost the exact same movie without any dramatic. It, 
it, changes, you know? Yeah, it almost felt like they set out to make this movie, discovered Ella Hunt could sing, and were like, what if musical? <laughs> right. Um, I did think that Ella Hunt, who plays Anna, was a star. I thought yes. she was fantastic. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I enjoyed it. It was... Um, I, I'm interested to hear from you guys how you felt or what you f what you felt having it set at Christmas added to the landscape of the movie. Uh, like, hmm. was it necessary for this movie to be set during Christmas or was that just like a little set dressing side effect that we have now? Like, now we can kill zombies with a candy cane. And if that was... Is, is that a bad thing going back to the uh, like the discussion about it being a musical or not uh or like whether it needed to be a musical i had the same thought that you guys did uh every time a song came on i'm like no this is fine and obviously they're all phenomenal singers and and um uh, ella hunt is a phenomenal dancer too um uh so it was enjoyable but i was also thinking like is the music actually doing anything for this? And I came away thinking that it sort of, it helps underscore the comedic and the heightened aspect of the movie. Um, I think that the the um, teacher character, uh, Arthur Savage, who's played by Thoros of Mir uh, from Game of Thrones, um, would be a complete, like he was a complete nonsense character, but he would be an even less believable nonsense character without the musical numbers. Um, because the musical numbers make it also artificial in the first place, that mm -hmm. it sort of like helps smooth, smooth the insanity around it. Um, uh, and, and so they sort of like help the, the tone that way. Um, I enjoyed it. It was fun. I am, before we started recording, we were saying it's basically Shaun of the Dead, but with singing in Christmas and I like Shaun of the Dead. So yeah, that was fun. Um, one thing I thought about, and this might go to your question, Martha, but sort of tangentially, um, as I was, like, as the movie was ending, and especially, like, the final scenes with um, her dad um, and with uh, some of their friends and, and, and whatnot, um, this movie kind of had a fair amount to, like, subtext of growing up um, and sort of, like, you know... Uh, putting away, away childish things, that sort of idea. And I feel like a lot of zombie movies have that as an undercurrent. Um, Shaun of the Dead is kind of about that. Uh, there's there's tones of that um, in like things like 28 Days Later or um, uh, what's that zombie movie we watched, Martha, um, with the girl, the girl with all the gifts? The girl with all um, the gifts. Yeah. So I, I feel like there's an interesting connection between christmas being like a, a childish holiday and then zombie movies with sort of a like growing up I, and i don't think it's even like subtext i think it's like sub sub subtext um but just sort of like that that feeling i had while watching it um we, we were also talking earlier about like just the cognitive dissonance between uh you know horror movies and zombies and like joyful christmas um so that certainly helps with the the comedy aspect um a zombie in a Santa suit is always going to be more entertaining than just a straight up zombie. So, <laughs> you, you know, that's, that's going to help. Or in a, a snowman suit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
So I'm trying to determine. Okay, so there is a book version of this, but my really? my superficial internet research seems to suggest that the book came out after the movie. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, I did not see this movie and think, you know what, this needs a novelization. <laughs> well, it makes me, yeah, it makes me curious because I, while I am, while I just spoke at length about whether or not I thought the music, like, added anything narratively to it, um, the story without the music would be different. I mean, I'm sure it's fine. It's a, it's a fairly straightforward zombie movie. Right. Um, This one does have a pretty heavy dose of comedy as well. Um, horror comedy is a very prolific subgenre. Um, and this one was not afraid to include those moments of levity, which I appreciated. There's something just, you know, as you were saying, Pete, there's something just so hyper. Um, it's like hyper realism mm. happening with this movie mm-hmm. um like heightened yeah heightened reality and like those moments of absurdity were just like okay <laughs> yeah now we're you know now we're being chased by zombies through a field of christmas trees like that's fine right <laughs> and good <laughs> well i feel i feel like what also what pete was saying a second ago that the because of that heightened reality that the music numbers provide because i feel like you're getting that you're going to get that feeling in almost any musical i feel like mm-hmm. because it's not the most natural thing for people to just be breaking out into song whenever the mood strikes i guess that happens but it's not the most normal um I feel like because we have the music numbers, we question the zombie outbreak a little bit less. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, absolutely. We've we've already established that this is a world kind of separated from ours, and so we would expect the un- we would kind of expect unexpected things to happen in it. Um, so when those zombies do start showing up, although I do have to say that music number where um, Anna and of course I'm going to forget her friend's name there, as they are leaving their houses to go to school <laughs> that morning, and yeah. there's just zombie apocalypse going on behind them, but they are so happy that they don't even notice. That was perfect. <laughs> yes, and I think distills down what the movie does well which is it it knows the beats to hit to fall into the genre containers that it's aiming for Mm -hmm. that would be turning my life around okay yes that that was one where i as i was watching i'm like did they write the lyrics to this first or did they shoot it first and then write the lyrics to match what was happening in the background because i could Almost see it going either way. Yeah. I'm sure they must have done the lyrics first to, like, stage everything, but, like, 
perfect on the nose, like artifice dialed up to eleven. Um, it helps really set the mood. Yes, in case you guys were wondering, my three and a half bangers are Breakaway, a Hollywood Ending, Soldier at War, and then a half for Give Them a Show because it's a very good song, but I don't know that it fully qualifies as like a rock out in my car to this song. Mm. song. <laughs> uh, before we transition to our final pick, I do just want to mention, um, or at least introduced as a potential topic of conversation do we feel that the qualities of christmas that are normally celebrated you know togetherness family general good cheer uh contribute to the poignancy of having the world collapse during a zombie apocalypse i i feel the irony there is very deliberate and we would be doing the movie a disservice to not address it at all Right, and I, and that kind of goes back to a question you posed earlier, as to whether we felt like it being set at Christmas mattered at all. And I think you really put your finger on it there that without the trappings of Christmas, I feel like some of that familial bonding and poignancy that you're talking about would be lost, or it would feel almost too saccharine, even. For a musical, mm. so I to that to that degree, I would say that the Christmas setting, the Christmas trappings, kind of help bolster up that end of the movie, um, and give give those character payoffs um, a little bit more heft when they happen. I will be honest with you. I forgot that I had already introduced this as a topic of conversation earlier in this episode. So, but then you answered your own question, so it turned out great. I did. I did. Okay. We are... All right. So our last movie is possibly the most traditional of all of them. As a Christmas mm. movie. Uh, yes, I, assigned... I agree. Yes. Um, I assigned the 2010... Uh, the 2010 Finnish movie, Rare Exports, um, which takes place at the foot of the Korvatunturi Mountains, which the internet told me is a very fancy way of saying Lapland. So mm -hmm. that's you know, where we are in uh, space-time. On the border um, of Finland it, and Russia. Yes. So we open with an expedition that is um, excavating... Uh, this giant mountain um, and it turns out that what they're digging up is a mythological version of Santa Claus um, which we discover I, I don't think that that's a spoiler because this is a you know, this is a Christmas movie um, but what happens is once the excavation really gets going children from a nearby village uh, start to go missing uh, and Pietari, uh, a 11 or 12 year old boy, um, he and his dad and a couple of his dad's friends uh, investigate what is happening to the kids and um, discover that something horrible is going on and eventually uh, go and confront the being that is buried in the mountain. Um, 
I had never seen this movie before and I loved it. I am a huge I am a huge fan of the weird stuff that Northern Europe brings to the Christmas table. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There are some truly wonderful and horrific uh, figures of folklore in uh, different Northern European Christmas traditions, uh, including... As you're looking it up, I'm just going to throw Krampus into this mix. Uh, well, which that's is one the of the, thing. One like, of the more well-known ones, but I know, I think you're going to be, you're looking for a different one, right? Well, I think it is clear that the Santa Claus figure in this movie, image-wise, bears a very heavy relationship to um, Krampus, because when you finally get to see some of him um you all you get to see of the santa claus figure is like these enormous curling horns mm-hmm. <laughs> so good yeah um no but the the name that i was looking for ah where are you I just uh, Yolupuki, which is a figure in Finnish folklore that started um, has a genesis as the Yule goat and has kind of merged a couple of different um, pagan and Yule traditions with what we now kind of recognize as Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. Yeah, he has become more kind of smoothed out as he has gotten to be more like the Santa Claus that we recognize. Um, But yeah, straight up was like a goat man. Um, And did in fact, was said to live in the Corvatunturi mountains. So the movie definitely knows um, what mythology it's borrowing from. Mm -hmm. Right. I had no idea. That's very... Very interesting. I, mm, <laughs> there's, <laughs> I, it, I mean, it, it has to be because of the pagan influence in Northern European culture. But like, right. I, I, my, my current Twitter avatar and holiday name that I always use is based on the Mari Thude, um folklore tradition, who's a horse skull. Is that the horse with ghost? Christmas yeah. ornaments hanging in its yeah. in its eye sockets and like is a is a Welsh uh tradition. It's basically caroling, only you also bring a horse skull puppet and <laughs> the the doors, like the houses that you go up to have to engage you in like a poetry rap battle before you get let in for cocoa and cookies. Which is like um, the most Celtic thing imaginable. It's wild. There's also, I was telling Pete before we started recording about the Yule cat who visits you and if you didn't receive clean clothes for Christmas, eats you. Oh my god. (laughs) That's great. I also recently learned about, uh, what's her name? Uh, Grilla? Frau Frau Perkta, Mm. who is a Christmas witch who also travels to your house 
Um, and if she decides that your house is too dirty, she cuts open your stomach and fills you with garbage. Oh, I've heard of that one. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so one of the discussion questions I put down in our document is just, what is up with Northern Europe? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think you're right that it's the combination of, uh, like, the pagan and the, um, you know, Christian elements. Um, both the Yule Cat and uh, the Yule Lads, and then uh, Grilla and Lapaludi, who are some giants who eat mischievous children, um, are, like, from Iceland. Are they, the, are they the ones with the beaks? No, that's the ones that you were talking about that, that rip open your guts. And fill them with trash. No, that's no, no, that's Properta. Oh, there's also some beak creatures that go like creak creak or something, and they rip open your guts yeah, and fill them with trash. Schnabelperkton. Yes. Schnabelperkton. Yes. Oh, they may. I think they're related to Fraulperkta. Okay, maybe like her messengers they, or something. They both, yeah, they both feature giant pairs of scissors, um, in their iconography. Yes. Um, I I mean like. You look at at the, like, Nordic-Germanic folk tales, you know, from either the Brothers Grimm's or Hans Christian Andersen or whatever, and there's that similar strain of, like, deep disturbingness uh, going through it. Um, speaking of giant scissors, there's, like, the long-legged scissor man who cuts off the thumbs of children who um, bite their nails. Uh, and, and so I, I think it's, like, part of it is culturally much more prone to that sort of, like, darkness, um... And then combined with the, uh, you know, pagan traditions that were probably not stamped out as thoroughly as they were in Southern Europe. Um, and also just Southern Europe being part of that, like, Mediterranean environment that Judeo-Christianity came from meant that there was a lot more, like, inherent syncretism happening with the religions that then when they went up to uh, the farther northern colder reaches, uh, it had to make some changes to, to let it fit a little bit better. Um meant that there was a lot more acceptance of the original pagan traditions. We're just going to, like, clean it up a little bit and uh, make it, you know, related to some saint and then call it a day. Um, it could also be just the fact that it's dark and cold up there all the time. So. I was just going to ask how much do we think the fact that it stays light for, like, four hours a day <laughs> in the middle yeah. of winter. The thought that I keep having is... That night is dark and full of terrors mm -hmm. i mean yeah. it's, it's hard not to see the truth in that when you hear those stories and even even watching this movie just even without you know children being kidnapped and all of this stuff like their existence is tough yeah like they're absolutely dependent on this reindeer harvest I don't know what else to call it. Mm -hmm. uh, and when that doesn't come through, that's kind of what kicks the entire uh, narrative thrust off as they go on the hunt to figure out why they can't, why, where all the reindeer went. But I'm just thinking about their entire, like their annual income is dependent on being able to pin these reindeer, essentially slaughter them, and sell them for meat, you mm -hmm. know? That's, that is some tough living. 
there's a um a documentary uh called happy people uh which is narrated by Werner herzog about people who uh live uh I'm sorry <laughs> So uh, it gets better. <laughs> it's it's called. Uh, it's about um, people who live in the taiga in Russia, like so, just total isolated Siberia, um, the kind of place where in wintertime there are two ways to get there: either by helicopter or by snowmobile along the frozen rivers, um, and that's it. Uh, yeah. And like the, the the life of the people in in this documentary is very similar. It feels like to the life of the the main characters in this, where it's like. You know, the, it, the movie sort of is following some hunter-trapper guy who's just, like, going through the woods in winter, checking out his, like, traps for fur, because that's how he makes his living, is is selling, right. like, fur. Um, yeah. But on the flip side, there's a scene where, like, he's like, ah, I need some skis. Finds a tree, chops it down, carves some skis for himself, and he's off in, like, 30 minutes. It's like, that's insane. Right. Um, but you live a terrible, difficult existence. <laughs> Yeah. Like always on that's... the nice edge of hunger and, and disaster, you know? Right. Exactly. Uh, I think what, what really got me about this movie was of the three, in a weird way, it felt the most Christmassy to me. Hmm. It really did. Um, you know, it. the first time I saw this, I was just so enraptured with the story that I didn't notice this as much. But watching it this time, kind of less what was, I was struck uh, more clearly by the fact that there's no women in this movie. Yeah. Um, and, and for our central family, uh, uh, Pieter and his father, I don't think I said his name right. It's like I, Papirin, you guys maybe. Uh, Pietari and then Pietari, yes. Right. Gotcha. So there's there's hints that, you know, his mom like passed away or something. Uh, and so dad is really striving to not only be a good dad, but also be a appropriate caregiver. And it is Christmas time, and I'm trying to like just all of this emotional baggage on top of the fact that I don't know how we're going to make money this year. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we're going to have food tomorrow. Like that, that that component of this felt just very, very Christmassy to me because those are the things that people seemingly the world over worry about around this time of year. Like it's, it is cold. It is bleak. You know, wouldn't it be horrible if we lost power right now because we would all freeze to death. Like those, those aspects of this really kind of elevated what could have been kind of a schlocky horror premise it really elevated all of that into no. This is real for these people. Uh, there, there's I don't a, know. There's a scene early on where um, his dad makes gingerbread, and like it's kind of a tense, like it, it's not a heartwarming scene in the slightest, but it's kind of a nice thing of like, oh, here, have some like gingerbread cookies. Yeah, thanks, cool. 
um, of just that, like, sort of, like, simple, like, can't provide a lot, but, like, you know, simple sort of holiday, you know, attempt at festiveness, attempt at, like, something nice. Right. Uh, what did you guys think of the bait and switch that happens halfway through the movie? It gets me every time. <laughs> really? It gets me every time. Are you talking about where uh, it's not, like, Santa's not an old man, but that's really the elves? Yes. Okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was funny. Yeah, I thought it was clever. Yeah. I, I I enjoyed the, um, the like, so that's how he can be in a million places yes. at once. Yes, Right. I liked their, the, the adults sort of, like, droll. Once, like, you know, the the elves and the whole santa thing was revealed they're just sort of like making jokes about it and being like yep it's the christmas spirit ha 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 uh <laughs> it's like it, it felt very like finnish or, or at least you know scandinavian just be like yeah, everything's terrible all right well we we gotta do it might as well laugh through it yep. fuck up yep but yeah that it does such a good job of making that elf just so creepy. Yeah. That even if you do know the bait and switch that's going to come, you're just, you don't have time to think about it because you're just kind of enraptured by this creepy dude mm -hmm. that seemingly wants to, like, eat children or something. You know, like, you're you're just unnerved to the point of, almost can't handle it you know yeah well and there there's a sense of unpredictability like when you think that the the old man that they have captive is the the bad guy there mm. is a definite level of like if he is the monster like how unpredictable is he like he has this very feral aspect to him that was yeah. like I don't know where the jump scare is going to come in, and mm -hmm. I'm I'm concerned and upset. <laughs> yes, yes. I was also like that. That makes me think too. I was struck that all of the violence, at least if I'm thinking clearly, all of the violence happens off camera. Yes, we get yes. the we get that initial like burst of action, and then it cuts away. I, I think the most violence in the movie is uh, just, like, the butchering of a, a hog. Like, that's the, the worst on screen mm -hmm. that we see. Yes. And that's, you know, played as survival. It's not played for... Right, uh, yeah, that's just that's what you'd see in any butcher shop. Right. Um, but, yeah, I do think that more than either of the other two um this movie really leans hard on like very traditional christmas folklore for its horror mm -hmm. um and it almost doesn't like there's not a whole lot of like extrapolation that has to happen like i <laughs> I did find out that the the illustrations that Pietari is looking at at the beginning of the movie um, are were created for the movie. They're mm -hmm. not from any 
Um, okay. But the the story is that the movie is rooted in are all traditional folkloric stories. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is just. Um, it, it's like I said, it's fascinating to me the stuff that. Yeah. <laughs> you, you could almost think of it as like a modern adaptation of like a Jolupuki story. Yeah, pretty much. So, holiday horror, does it work for us? I think it does. Like there's <laughs> there's something about it that just feels oddly refreshing. I don't know what that says about me possibly, but it's I I enjoyed these three movies and I know there are others out there, you know, that are Christmas themed and stuff and I don't know, there's something mildly subversive, I guess, about yeah, it. Yeah. Like you feel like you're getting away with something, maybe. Well so Yeah, I'm I I get contrary frequently. Like if I'm if I'm told to feel one way or another about something, I frequently am like, Well, no, I'm gonna do this other thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And while I am I I love Christmas. I am a very big Christmas person. There is something a little bit delightful to say like, no, I'm not going to be joyful and celebratory. I'm going to you know, read about monsters that eat children. And, <laughs> right. You know. Yeah. One, one thought I had was that all, like, these are all definite, like, strains of Christmas horror, but they're also, like, totally different strains. Um, yeah. Rare Exports, I think, is totally played straight. Um, we were talking about how uh, Anna and the Apocalypse is, like, super-duper heightened, I, like, whereas Rare Exports is, like, really grounded considering it's a movie about, like, magical elves and a giant evil Santa monster with horns. Um, <laughs> like, ever, uh, other than that, like, there, you don't really see anything, like, supernatural or impossible or unusual. Um, and then, you know, you have Nightmare, which is, uh, you know, stop-motion cartoon for kids and adults of all ages. Um, so it's sort of the... Christmas horror is a weirdly versatile genre where... Uh, yeah. It can be gory, it can be campy, it can be, like, creepy and dreadful, and it can be, you know, kind of the right amount of spooky fun for kids. I agree with all of that. Mm. It is also important to remember, um, I bring this up frequently, uh, kids like to be scared. Yeah. Yes, so I think there's... I think there's also got to be something a little bit delicious to a kid about, like, you know, be good or Krampus will come and get you. Mm-hmm. Like, because no kid is actually concerned about that. And then these movies, su- these movies presuppose, like, <laughs> like, but what if they had to be concerned about that? Right. Like, no, Krampus is going to eat you. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it'd be interesting, and I, I am the first to admit that I have consumed almost zero, like, Christmas horror um, outside of this. Um, so much of, like, 80s slasher movies are that same sort of, like, Christmas idea of the 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 sinners get their just desserts. You know, like, oh no, you did drugs, you had teenage sex, therefore you're gonna get axe murdered. Um, which is kind of like the Krampus idea, just without the benevolent spirit to reward those who don't sin um so i'm i'm 
I'm ignorant on this, but I, I wonder if there are, if there's a strain of like Christmas slasher movies that play by the same rules as traditional '80s slasher movies, um, because that does feel like right in line with a lot of like Christmas folkloric tradition. Well, they did just remake Black Christmas, which and I've never seen either version, so. I'm very excited about this new one. I like the original a lot, um, but I think this new one is going to be super fun. Yeah. Um, is that sort of like an 80s slasher set during Christmas type situation? Yeah, it's set during Christmas in a sorority house. Okay, yep, sounds <laughs> sounds very much like what I'm talking about. I don't know that I have an answer to your question off the top of my head, Pete. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah. It is an interesting thing to chew on. It, it, That's is about it, all I got. it is an idea that I literally just had, so I have given it no more thought than what you've already heard. Fair. Final thoughts? Anyone? The one thought that I had while watching these, and a little bit in preparation for trying to like decide on what we were going to, or what I was going to recommend, what I realized is that and maybe this shouldn't be as surprising to me as it is, but there's almost there there are literally zero like other like holiday horror films in reference to other holidays like went like winter like winter holidays um, mm. because I, I in prep I was I was thinking it might be cool to be like oh we do a Christmas a couple of Christmas but what if I found like a Hanukkah horror movie and I type that in and there are zero there are zero Hanukkah horror movies and I don't know what to make of that really um there was a oh sorry there was like a there was a fan trailer or something there was like a you know like a a mock-up trailer for someone I think for a failed kickstarter or something like that but that i'm like okay well someone had the idea but there doesn't seem to be enough or at least that person couldn't find enough support for their idea but it, it just seems odd that we would just keep piling on christmas when there are other traditions that are completely untapped that i think would be equally uh horrifying in the right hands of course yeah i think part of it is that christmas is easy like there's already a lot of weird stuff to explore in different christmas folkloric traditions as we've kind of touched on True. um i also think that in general there there are not a lot of movies about other holidays that get made just sort of in general yep so yeah, that's true um, the, the dominance of Christmas makes it easy both because the stories can be weird and also because everyone, like even if you don't celebrate, you are consumed by Christmas for a month and a half. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would be down to see a Hanukkah horror movie. I have no idea what that would entail, but I'm I'd be down it. for a straight up uh, Maccabees Hanukkah story movie. Like, you know, give it to Ridley Scott when he was making good uh, sword and sandal movies and not bad ones. That'd be interesting. Right. Yeah. Well, Joe, thank you so much for coming back to the podcast. This has been a delightful conversation, and I'm glad you could join us. Thank you so much. It, I agree. It has been insightful 
and wonderful. Yeah. Got to watch some good movies. Where, where can people find you online? Um, I think the easiest place to find me is on Twitter, if you're willing to uh, trudge across the hellscape that it is. Uh, you can find me at Chiazar, C-H-I-A-C-Z-A-R. And Pete, where can people find you? Uh, you can also find me on the Roiling Hellscape of Twitter at Pico3000, P-I-K-O-3000, where I'm talking politics and pop culture. Uh, you can find me on most social media and other places on the internet at Magical Martha, uh, including the newsletter that I write um, approximately whenever I feel like it. Uh, that is tinyletter.com backslash Magical Martha. I'm doing a lot of lists these days. Um, I dispensed with my top 10 books and movies of the decade and have uh, moved on to lists of other kinds. Yes, tis the season I, for lists. Yes, indeed. I love a good list. Uh, you can follow the show at most places at DYDYH Podcast. Uh, you can find us on Facebook to leave us a question, comment, concern. You can send us an email at show at homeworkpodcast.com um we are going to be taking a short hiatus and by that i mean our next episode would be due to drop on new year's day and that sounds like a lot of work to us not doing that so, not doing that no we will see you the following uh day on january 15th uh for our next episode which we will be recording with joe's lovely wife sarah return of the guest and friend of the podcast mm -hmm. um <laughs> in the meantime uh you can listen to the other podcast i do that re that releases on the same feed uh where pete's wife marin and i watch teen rom-coms that are available on streaming platforms and then we talk about them we just finished a discussion on the kissing booth <laughs> yes you uh shows you shows you how well i remember that one that was a good episode uh, and... because you did not like it and those are always fun correct normally we would have an episode dropping next week but next week is christmas so we are also taking a short break on that one uh and we will be back um on january 8th to talk about the classic the princess diaries i believe that is everything yeah Pete, am i getting anything i think that's it just some you know happy holidays and such wonderful mm. have a lovely holiday don't get eaten by the krampus and we will see you in the new year We did right. it. Yeah. yeah. Joe, thanks a lot. Thank you. Yeah, thank yes, you. this is great. <laughs>